good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would open with me now to the book of Romans, chapter 5. And this morning we will be picking up in verse 12 with a message entitled, Life-Changing Decisions. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, if you would follow along with me. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more... The grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Shall we pray together? And this morning, Father, as we come before your word, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand these verses this morning, to comprehend the truth that is found within them. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first part of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul spent his time communicating the benefits and the blessings that belong to those who have been justified by faith. Those blessings, you have peace with God. You have access to the grace of God. There is a joyful expectation of the coming glory of God. You triumph over trials because of the faithfulness of God. You receive an overwhelming love of God. You escape the wrath of God and you have been reconciled to God. These are the blessings that belong to those who have been justified by faith. But this morning, we pick up where we left off in verse 12 as we begin to consider together what some have referred to as one of the most difficult and controversial passages to interpret in all of Paul's writings. As a pastor, it's always a great way to start the week when you read something like that. Every word, every phrase seems to generate Ages of discussion and debate among scholars. At the same time, it is one of the most important sections because the truth that are found in these verses are the foundation stones of the gospel. It is my intention not to get weighed down in every detail, but instead to present the overall picture of what is presented. You know, in studying and teaching the Word of God for over 25 years, I realize that there are depths to God's Word that I will not be able to completely understand until I see the Lord face to face in glory. That there are mysteries that only heaven will reveal. 
The Bible says that right now we only know in part. We don't understand at all. I don't understand fully the laws of gravity. But I know that they exist. And I can see the impact and results when they are broken. And I accept it. And really the same principle applies in one sense with the word of God. I believe it by faith and I see the results of it. Now what the Apostle Paul presents in this section of scripture is a contrast between the life of Adam and the life of Jesus. And he will consider the decisions that they made and the impact and result that it made upon humanity. So keep that in mind. Beginning in verse 12, we discover how sin entered the world. It says in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Have you ever wondered how the world became evil? Have you ever thought to yourself, how is it that human beings can be so cruel and vicious to other human beings? What was it that brought us to this place where we are in history? The Bible answers that question and tells us very clearly, sin entered the world. And it was downhill from there. If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we are told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not the Big Bang Theory, not evolution, not theistic evolution, but creation. God spoke the world into existence. He made it all. He created the beautiful sunset, the stars to shine in the heavens, the unfathomable depths of the ocean. But the height of God's creation was when God created man in his own image. God said, let us make man in our image. And that's exactly what he did. The Bible tells us that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And he called the first man, Adam. The Lord also created a helpmate that was suitable for Adam. As Adam went to sleep in the garden, the Lord took from his side and created the first woman and called her Eve. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment. Adam was placed in the garden and all that he had to do was simply care for and tend the garden. Enjoy creation. Enjoy intimate fellowship with God, walking with God in the cool of the day. All of these blessings were given to Adam with only one prohibition, and that was this. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, some have asked the question, why would God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden to begin with? I believe he did so in order that there would be a loving relationship. For there to be a loving relationship, there has to be a choice involved. The Lord did not force mankind to love and to serve him. Instead, he gave him a choice. 
He still does that even today. He will never force his way into your life. He stands at the door and he knocks. And if you open the door, he will come in, the Bible says. But after God had given Adam this command, Eve was found by the tree. It was there that Satan came in the form of a serpent and incited doubt concerning God's commands. He questioned God's word. He denied God's word. He altered it completely and exchanged it for a lie. Sadly, Eve gave in to the temptation, believed the lie of Satan, ate of the forbidden fruit. She in turn gave it to Adam. He also ate. And in that moment, everything changed. Sin entered the world. And the results of sin's entrance were devastating. Adam's first sin transformed his inner nature and it became depraved and degenerate. This sin nature was also transmitted to future generations because Adam became spiritually polluted. All of his descendants as a byproduct of sin would be polluted in the same way. As a result of sin, man no longer lived in innocence. Sin brought shame. Adam, who formerly had open and honest communication with God, was now fearful and hiding among the fig leaves. Sin also brought sickness. It brought sorrow. It brought pain and suffering and separation from God. One of the most devastating results of sin is that it brought death. This death entered the world and affected to everyone, as Paul records here, it spread to all men, all mankind. Death is always the consequence of sin. The Bible tells us that sin brings forth death, that the wages of sin is death. And the Bible refers to several types of death that come with sin. First of all, spiritual death. Living in a life of sin and being disobedient toward God results in being spiritually dead. Although you could be physically alive and breathing, you are dead spiritually. When Adam sinned in the garden, he immediately died spiritually. His relationship with God was affected. It was broken. Paul writes about this to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is what he said concerning our former condition before Christ. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And what does that look like? It looks like this. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we conducted ourselves, the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Spiritual deadness looks like that. That's how you live your life. You're physically alive, pursuing the lust of the flesh, but you're spiritually dead to God. No relationship with him. But not only does sin produce a spiritual death, but listen, physical death. As a result of his sin, Adam also began dying physically. His body began the process of growing old and decaying, and eventually he would die. The statistics of death are very consistent. 10 out of 10 people die. It's a statistic that no one can escape. It's not a matter of if 
you will die physically, but a matter of when, unless the rapture comes first, and I am holding out for that. The Bible also describes eternal death that sin produces. Scripture calls it the second death. The second death is mentioned on multiple occasions in the book of Revelation, and it is often synonymous with the lake of fire. It is a death that is separation from God, the giver of life, and it's called the second because it follows physical death. The second death, referred to Revelation chapter 20, it says this, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the lake of fire. At the end of time, even death and the grave will be thrown into the lake of fire. In addition, every person whose name is not written in the book of life is thrown into that lake of fire. This condition is final. This destination is permanent. It is the second death. Again, Revelation 21 verse 8 tells us who will be in that second death. It says the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You get the idea that when sin entered the world, it produced spiritual, physical, and eternal death. The non-believer has every reason to fear all three of those deaths. On the other hand, the believer in Jesus Christ has no need to fear any of these deaths at all because Jesus came to give eternal life. He conquered the last enemy, which is death. Now, some may look at the circumstances in Genesis and the story of Adam and his failure, how that his one decision affected all of humanity, and begin to think, how could he do that? Why did he listen to Eve? You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit down with Adam. I'm going to have a little discussion. What were you thinking? As if you would have or I would have done any better. Furthermore, we wonder, why is it that we should have to suffer the consequences of Adam's sin when we weren't there, when he made the decision. It was his decision, not ours. It seems unfair. How could one man's decision affect the entire human race? To answer that, I draw your attention once again to verse 12. As we go line upon line, folks, this is, this is a lesson today in expositional teaching, and you'll understand why when we're through. It says that death spread to all men. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Because all sinned. Listen carefully. Pay attention as we go a little bit deeper theologically here. Paul points out that not only was Adam a man individually, but he also represented all of man corporately. All of humanity came from Adam and Eve. That's what the Bible teaches. We believe it. When Adam sinned, we were all, in one sense, in Adam. 
Adam is what we refer to as our federal head. He was the best that we had. He represented all of humanity. The entire human race was seminally and physically within Adam. He's the first man. And as a result, God considered all people as participating in the act of sin which Adam committed and as receiving the penalty he received. He was our federal head, our representative. All humanity being within him suffered the consequence of his sin. He was the best. Think about it, folks. Adam had no bad habits, no impure thoughts, didn't grow up in a dysfunctional family. I mean, Adam was the best representative that we had. The Jewish people understood this idea of a federal head in their culture. How that one man and his actions could easily affect an entire nation. And that principle is seen over and over again within the scriptures. That is why when it says in verse 12, the word sinned, it means at one point in time, all men sinned. And that sin was represented in Adam. And at that time, we were in a sense, all in Adam. And this resulted in the sinful nature being passed on. His sin became mankind's sin. The consequence was passed down. Now, let me say this. Paul does not get into all of the details of how this happened, how it all works. He simply states it as a fact. This is just a fact. He doesn't get into the finer points. He just says, this is the way that it is. Adam's sin and his sin resulted in a sin nature being passed on to future generations. All of us are born with a sin nature. Now let me pause there and say this. There are those who have looked at these passages and there have some misunderstanding concerning it. First of all, some have said that this passage means each person is their own Adam and that there's really no connection between the sin of Adam and the sin of mankind. However, that can't be true, for one of the results of sin is death. I would say to the person who would question, how could you believe in the story of Adam and Eve and say that everyone is somehow linked to them? Here's my answer. One major proof, death. End of story. I mean, we're all linked to Adam. It's very obvious. There's another misunderstanding concerning this passage referred to as the moral government of God. Those who do not believe that man is by nature sinful. They hold to the moral government of God, which among other things suggests that we're born innocent, that we're born neutral, that man isn't born with a sin nature. But again, the Bible teaches clearly the exact opposite of that. For example, in Psalm 51, verse 5, the psalmist said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, born with the sin nature. In Psalm 58, verse 3, the psalmist declared, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Who speaks lies goes astray from birth. Again, born with the sin nature. Nowhere is this example more clearly seen of being born with the sin nature than in the lives of little children. If you're a parent, if you are a grandparent, you know that you do not necessarily have to teach 
your child to do what is wrong. They figure it out by watching you <laughs> and me. Have you ever seen your sin running around on two little legs? I have four times. You don't sit your child down and say, listen, today I'm going to teach you how to lie. Here's how you do it. When I ask you something, tell me something else. And that is a lie. Good job. No one does that. You have to tell them how to teach the truth. Remind of that little boy who was in the middle of the night. His mother heard him digging in the pantry in the cookie jar. And she called out, Tommy, what are you doing in there? He said, I'm fighting temptation. <laughs> Not really. The point is, we we're all born with a sin nature. It is inherent from Adam. It was the result of the fall in the garden. In fact, when you really think about it, we're sinners twice over. We sin because we are sinners, Adam's choice. And we are sinners because we sin. That's our choice. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not just potential sinners. We're practicing sinners, in other words. Now again, some may look at this and object to this notion that they sinned in Adam, arguing that they weren't there when Adam sinned, nor did they exist when he sinned. But I want you to think about this for a moment. If you seek to deny the truth that the Bible teaches, that all in Adam sinned, and that now because of one man's decision, death was passed to all men, then it would be impossible to make the case that all men could be made righteous through the decision of Jesus Christ to go to the cross. In the same way, you weren't there. I wasn't there when Jesus died for me physically. I wasn't there on the day of his resurrection to see him out of the tomb. I wasn't there, but by faith, I believe in that one decision that he made to go to the cross and die for my sins. It has affected my life and has the potential to affect all of humanity. Just as Adam's decision affected all of humanity, so Christ's decision affects all of humanity. Folks, the intensity of this analogy goes beyond our ability to completely comprehend it. We may not like the fact that we are born with a sin nature because of the work of another man. Nevertheless, I like the fact that I can be made righteous through the decision of one man, Jesus Christ, and I rejoice in that. Here's another side of the argument. Some might take it upon themselves, especially those who were religious in nature, reading what Paul was writing, and they would raise the argument about the law of God. In verse 13, until the law, sin was in the world, Paul said. But sin is an imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Pay attention here. We know that through Adam, Sin entered the world. We've established that fact. But the religious objector might say the Ten Commandments were not given until later on, until Moses there at Mount Sinai. And if there was no law between Adam to Moses, 
And they didn't have the knowledge that they were in sin according to a law. Therefore, they couldn't be considered sinners because the law didn't exist. Paul anticipates, I believe, that argument. And that is why he responds and says, even though they didn't have the law, they still died. Death reigned over them. Even though they couldn't be accused of breaking a non-existent law, death still reigned. Sin was still sin during the period of time from Adam to Moses. And the fact that there was death during that period only proved that it still had the effect. Paul's point is this. The emphasis here is that all were in Adam. Everybody was in Adam. The result of Adam's sin affected all of mankind. Even without the law, they still died, which makes it evident they had all sinned being in Adam. Paul's argument stands. The entire human race throughout all of history, because of its solidarity and unity with Adam, all stand under the ruling and reigning of death. Adam sinned, his sin passed to us. We are born with the sinful nature. The result of our sinful nature is ultimately death. Uh, but here's where we turn the corner. Praise God. Thankfully, we don't stop there. Death is reigning. And if we pause there, it'd be very discouraging. But here, Paul now presents a comparison and a contrast between the effects of Adam's decision and the effects of Christ's decision. At the end of verse 14, he says that Christ was a type of Adam, or Adam, pardon me, was a type of Christ who is to come. Here's what I want you to understand. As we go from verses 15 to 21, this is what's going to help you understand as we go line upon line. You ready for this? Whenever you see the word free gift... I want you to think of Jesus and what he has provided. Whenever you see the word offense, I want you to remember and think of Adam and what Adam did and what the results were. Free gift speaks of Christ. Offense refers to Adam. You ready? Here we go. Verse 15, follow along and you will understand this passage. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The first comparison that Paul does between the free gift and the offense, he says the free gift, that is what Christ has done, is not like the offense. It's different from it when compared to it. And my question is, how so? How is it different? He tells us. The offense that came through Adam's sin resulted in deserving death. But the free gift that came through Christ resulted in undeserving grace. That is the first comparison. The offense produced deserving death. The soul that sinneth shall surely die, the Bible says. But the free gift that came through Christ, God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, resulted in undeserving grace. God's unmerited favor. You are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The offense produced deserving death. 
The free gift, undeserving grace. That is the first comparison. Notice verse 16. And the gift, speaking of Christ, is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense, speaks of Adam, resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, speaking of Jesus, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Here again is the contrast. He says the gift that came through Christ is not like the offense. My question is, how so? What makes it different? Here's the difference. He says that the offense in verse 16 resulted in judgment and condemnation. But the free gift that came through Christ resulted in forgiveness and justification. One man's decision brought judgment and condemnation. One man's decision brought forgiveness and justification, just as if you never sinned. By the way, this brings up a very valuable point and insight. Our decisions don't just affect us. They affect other people connected to us. It's different, Paul said, in comparison. Verse 17, he continues on. He puts it another way. Verse 17, for if by the one man's offense, who does that speak of? Who? There you go. You guys are good. (laughs) One man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift, which speaks of the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Because of the offense, because of Adam's decision, what did it produce? It resulted in death reigning. When the Bible says that death reigns, it's a way of saying death is in charge. Death is on the throne. Death keeps mankind in bondage. It, death rules, in other words. Because of Adam's sin, death took the place on the throne, ruling over mankind. It is the enemy of man, death. That's what he produced through his offense. But then it says that through the gift that came through Christ, this gift of righteousness, notice this, will reign, same word, reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, The only way that death could be removed from reigning is death had to be defeated. The only way for death to no longer sit upon the throne and keep man in bondage, it had to be removed. And mankind could not defeat death. No one could defeat death except the one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and died the death we should have died. And in that, he defeated death that was reigning. He removed death from its place and now is able to reign in life, offering eternal life. Do you understand that? One man's offense brought death. Death was in charge. Jesus makes a decision, dies on the cross, kicks death off the throne, as it were, and now he reigns in life, and you also, because he reigns, you too shall live and reign with Christ. That is the difference. 
powerful, powerful doctrine being presented in these passages. Again, expositionally, move to the very next verse. Can I just pause and say while we're moving to the next verse, this is why, I, this is why exposition is so important. Because you could not just get a few phrases out of this and explain what it is we're talking about and really understand the concept of Romans chapter 5 unless you go line upon line, precept upon precept. You will not understand it. You'll just read over and say, awesome. But this, this is really helping us to grasp. So this is, why we, this is why if you're new here, this is why we're teaching the way that we teach so that people can walk away understanding exactly what this means. And so we go to verse 18. Therefore... Or in light of everything I've just said in the comparison. Therefore, as through one man's offense, who's the offense? Judgment came to all men, resulting condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift is, came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. So there it is. One man's offense, judgment to all men and condemnation. One man's righteous act, the free gift, justification. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, who was a disobedient man? Okay. Resulting in many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, who was obedient? Many will be made righteous. The offense is not like the free gift. And I say to that, in what way? How so? It says here that the offense through one man's disobedience resulted in many being made sinners. Because of Adam's sin, all of humanity was affected. But on the other side of that, through one man's obedience it says that many were made righteous. Sinners are not in a right standing with God. But through the righteousness of Christ, we now are placed in a right standing with God. One man's disobedience, many were made sinners. One man's obedience, many were made righteous. Did you know that both of these decisions in one sense were made in a garden? In the Garden of Eden, Adam chose to disobey the will of God, resulting in everything that we've described thus far. But Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was there in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed, his sweat became like drops of blood, the Bible says, and he, contrary to Adam, submitted to the will of God. Both of them made decisions that impacted all of humanity in a garden. He goes on to say, the next verse, verse 19, or verse 20 rather, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When the law was given, it pointed out God's requirement. And man sinned even more. Sin abounded. It wasn't like man sinned less when the law came. And you can look at our society and you can look at our culture 
from then until the present time. And we could honestly say, if we were to observe what's happened in history past to right now what's going on, sin has abounded. It continues to abound. It is not decreasing. It is only increasing. And some of the worst, most abominable things we're seeing take place right now. It's increasing. Sin is abounding. It continues to abound. At the same time, where sin abounds, the Bible says through Christ's demonstration, through Christ's righteous act, grace overabounds. It superabounds, which means this, no matter how sinful you are, or how much sin you've been involved with, there's enough grace to save you. Where sin abounds, and it does, grace abounds much more, resulting in sin reigning in death because of Adam's decision, but grace is reigning through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord you look at the two men who made decisions. And I want you to see this comparison. If you want, you can take a picture of it. Perhaps it'll help you to remember later on. This is the comparison between the two. You look at Adam and you see the forbidden tree. You think of Jesus, the cross of Calvary. As a result of the forbidden tree, offense, judgment, condemnation, death reigning, Sinners abounding, sin abounds, eternal death. But then you look at Christ, the cross, the free gift, justification, forgiveness, life reigns, righteousness, grace abounding much more. This is the comparison. Now listen carefully. Both of these men, Adam, and the God-man, Jesus, they both made decisions. But now you have to make a decision. Let me ask you this question. Are you still in Adam today? Because if you're not saved, if you're not born again, this is what you can expect to experience right here. This is the result of still being in Adam. Condemnation, judgment, eternal separation from God. This is the result of being Dead in Adam. If, if you're not a believer, this is where you are right now, in Adam. But if you're in Christ, this is what you'll experience. Justification, forgiveness, life, righteousness, eternal life in heaven, the free gift. And so only you can answer the question, are you in Adam? Dead in trespasses and sins? Are you in Christ, because the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, listen, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. They made their decision. You have to make yours. And I would encourage you to make the right decision, it will affect you both now and all of eternity. Will you pray with me this morning? And Heavenly Father, as we now prepare ourselves to partake of communion, Lord, I can't think of anything better to serve as an exclamation point 
and a holy amen to all that we've looked at today than communion. Speaks of the death of Christ, a memorial to his mission to save us. And Lord, I would ask today that if there are any here who are still in Adam, that they would today make a decision to be in Christ. It's a prayer away. The best decision they could ever make, Lord. Life-changing, both now and forever. In a moment, we're going to partake of communion. The men are going to come forward, pass out the elements. We'll continue to worship. Folks, I would need you to understand something. Communion is for those who are in Christ. It's not for those who are in Adam. In fact, the Bible does give warning to those who would take communion in an unworthy manner. And by that, meaning you're not saved. You're still in Adam. It's no benefit to you. On the other hand, I would suggest if you'd like to make the transition from Adam to Jesus, why not do it today? Why not agree with what the Bible says that you're born in sin? That you're a sinner by nature. But then also agree that the Bible tells us that God sent a Savior to save us. Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. That's what his, his name In his name is his mission. He came to seek and to save those that were lost, and he wants to save you. But he won't force his way into your life. It's a decision you have to make. And so if you have yet to do that, I would encourage you in the quietness of your own heart just to pray and say, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I recognize today that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And receive him. Your life will be changed. Formerly degenerate, now regenerate. Alive in the spirit where you were formerly dead. A relationship with God now available. And then partake of communion. And it will mean something so important to you because you understand. So let's prepare for worship and the partaking of communion now.